It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown. Extra. I'm Dave Anthony. Today, someone who claims he's just a guy who had a bad day at work. Everyone else calls him a hero. A wounded warrior who's endured more pain, overcome more obstacles just to be alive than most of us could ever even imagine. Israel Del Toro Jr., known to most as DT, a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who finally wrote a book about his incredible story. It's titled A Patriot's Promise, and it was just released on the 4th of July, the same day we put out our rundown podcast featuring DT, but as compelling as his story was in that segment, there's way more we did not have time to include from the conversation I was honored to have with DT, who's turned a horrific injury during the war in Afghanistan that left him badly burned and scarred for life into a story of perseverance and inspiration. Thank you for being here. Please keep coming back for more of the rundown and these rundown extra full interviews. To DT, thank you for your service to our country. And now here he is, Israel Del Toro Jr. on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Joining us on the Fox News Rundown is Israel D.T. Del Toro Jr. He's a U.S. Air Force senior master sergeant retired. He's also a wounded warrior who has fought his way back from traumatic injuries in Afghanistan, which we'll certainly get into. And he has a new book, A Patriot's Promise, Protecting My Brothers, Fighting for My Life, and Keeping My Word. It's out on the 4th of July, a story of patriotism on the pretty much the perfect day for it. Um, DT, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Dave. Thank you for having me on here. It's, it's a pleasure. Congratulations on the book. I know that's not something that you probably wanted to do, but I think your life's journey, you never wanted any of this, but here you are. Yeah, you know, it's uh, uh, for a long time, people had asked me to to write this. And, and you know, from my, my response was like, you know, I'm still young, man. I still got so many adventures, you know. Why do I want to write a book? I was like, uh, I always thought, you know, was, you were an old person when you wrote a, a book. You know, I, never, <laughs> you know, I was 30-something when they started trying to get, write a book. And then my, my biggest thing was like, dude, I don't even like, reading it's like how am i gonna write a book <laughs> <laughs> well it, it, it it's quite a compelling story i have to say and let's begin with the promise that's in the title and the promise really goes back to when you were young with your father yeah that that promise uh like you said it, it started with my dad you know, my dad, the last year and a half of his life, he he had lung issues. So he wasn't working anymore and he, he was using a respirator and he had gone to Mexico to see if they can find, you know, get help there. And 
you know, he called us on, on January 25th of 1988. And he to talked to everyone, and I was the last one to speak to him. And, yeah, we have normal conversations like a kid, you know, how you doing, are you behaving, yeah. me or mom, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the last thing he tells me is like, you know, son, promise me you'll take care of your brothers, sisters, and your family. And, you know, 12-year-old kid's like, okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah, sure, dad. Yeah. Not, not knowing those are going to be his last words to me because the next morning or next day in the afternoon coming home from school, I see two of my older cousins there waiting for us. And, and normally they're always real happy to, you know, to see us. Yeah. And I can see they had a sober, somber face, I mean. And, you know, they take us inside and they tell my mom to, to tell us to go to the room and they take her to the dining room. And I mean, again, as a curious 12 year old, I'm looking and I see my mom break down and I knew instantly what had happened. How young are your brothers and sisters at that time? So I was 12. Uh, my sister that follows me, she was 10. Then my brother, who was eight, and my, the youngest, who was six. Okay. So now you know what your father meant. You take it seriously. But your mother has a hard time, as you write in the book. She struggles to deal with his loss. And you and she clash over the different guys that she started to see. And that leads to another tremendous loss for you, your mother. Yeah, uh, you know, a uh, year and a half after my dad passes, you know, I end up losing my mom. But yeah, like you said, we, we bumped heads because I, I was just trying to honor that promise to my dad. And, and my mom, I like say she lost her way. And I wanted to bring her back, but, you know, it got to a point where she said, if I kept doing what I was doing, you know, she'll send me away and I'll never get to see my brothers and sisters again. And I, I, at that point, I realized I'll focus my efforts on my brothers and sisters and to keep that promise. And, and when I can, kind of talk to my mom. But, you know, unfortunately, it didn't work out and I ended up losing her. She was in a motorcycle accident, right? She, she was. She was. Uh, she got hit by a drunk driver. She was a passenger, and the drunk driver crossed in front of her, in front of her and her boyfriend at the time. And she wasn't wearing a helmet, and she flew, you know, a hundred feet uh, on the pavement. And that happened on Memorial Day, because uh, I, I just didn't even remember. That was the, the following day. We were supposed to go at our high school or eighth grade trip. Okay. And, you know, she was in the hospital till July and then passed away from her injuries. So now here you are. Your father's gone. Your mother's gone. You still are going to keep up your promise to help out your brothers and sisters. And then you go off to college. And then that doesn't work out in the end for you. Yeah, this is where I really start thinking that I'm cursed. Because anytime I felt like I was on a high, I got knocked right back down. Uh, you know, I'm off to college. I got a full academic ride to University of Illinois. And I come home a week, one weekend. And all of a sudden, we hear this big thump. And we're like, what's going on? And 
uh, I knew my grandpa was in the in the restroom, and we're knocking, and he's not answering. So I, I break in, and he had fallen back in the tub. And luckily, I was there. I was the only one strong enough to lift him up, and he had a stroke. And I wanted to drop out of school right af after that. My grandma's like, "No, keep going. We'll be okay." And, and so I did. I, I continued on until again, you know. Uh, the curse came back again a year later uh, with my grandma getting diagnosed with cancer. And that's when I dropped out after my first semester of college or my sophomore year. And here you are you, now, once again, you find your way back up. You decide, I'm going to the Air Force. Why? You know, people always ask me, it's like, did you come from a big lineage or wanted to, to join? I'm like, no, no one in my family had ever joined. You know, but I felt like I wasn't accomplishing anything. Like I, I felt unfulfilling, even though I had a very good job making good money. I just, I just felt something was missing. And your brothers and sisters were now old enough where you, you could go off to the military. Yeah, you know, my, my, my one sister, she was uh, engaged. Uh, my brother, you know, he was already now 18. And the youngest was staying with my sister. So I figured like, I saw a commercial, I was like, why not? Uh, you know, no one's ever done it. You know, and I grew up in the, the era of Rambo. Oh, you yeah. Know, with, oh, yeah. You know, with, with the long hair. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Body. You know, obviously, I don't have the long hair anymore. <laughs> or, or, or my son likes to say I have the dad bod. <laughs> but, you know, that's who I wanted to be. You know, we grew up watching that, you know. And, yeah. And I joined. And so you don't just get in the Air Force. You get involved in very difficult, hard combat. You go to Afghanistan. Yeah, yes, sir. I joined uh, one of the uh, special warfare career fields in, in, in the Air Force because I always wanted to be that guy that when I got, I was old and crusty and I'm sitting on a rocket chair, my grandchildren asked me, Grandpa, what you do in the military? I was like, I want to have that raspy old man voice, which I kind of already have now <laughs> because of my burns. Uh, and sit there's like, I killed a lot of mofos. <laughs> That's what I wanted to be. Uh, so not taking anything away from the other careers, but that, I just wanted to be that. Yeah. So I, I joined. That Rambo thing again. The, the Rambo thing came back. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, you are married at this point. You write in the book about the difficulty with your wife uh, getting into the United States. She's in Mexico. That's where you met and got married. You leave her behind, obviously. You're on a mission in Afghanistan. Um, then it goes horribly wrong. What happens in Afghanistan? Yeah, so uh, the, the, day, the, the night prior, I, I'd, like, I'd like to say it was like a, the calming before the storm. I, I remember... It was my turn to watch. We were doing an hour watch to our sleep. And, you know, I compare it a lot to the movie Forrest Gump when he talks about when he's telling Johnny when he's in Vietnam and it stops raining and all the clouds open up and you see every star. Yeah. And that's how it felt for me. I was like, man, I see every single star here. It's such a beautiful night. And then that next morning, man, we're, out, we're out doing our thing and, and we're, we're coming back because we had split the scout team into two. 
my team was Overwatch and the other guys were up on the mountain. You're looking for a Taliban enemy, right? Yeah, we had a high-value target that we had to capture or kill. Uh, but unfortunately, just kept, you couldn't, we weren't finding them. Uh, so we're, we're heading back to pick up, you know, the guys, and we cross this creek, and no more than 200 meters to cross this creek. Do I feel this intense heat blast on my left side? And I'm thinking, holy crap, we just got hit. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. And so it was a roadside bomb, correct? Yes, there was an IED that exploded under my vehicle. And you wrote in the book that you got out. Like you got out of the vehicle, but you were on fire. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, people always talk about how their life flashes in front of them, and I never really believed that. But when I got hit, you know, my life felt like a little movie reel. Like all these images, you know, were popping in, but the most distinct ones that I remember were things that hadn't happened yet. Like, you know, me and my wife finally getting married uh, by the Catholic Church after a third attempt. Like a formal ceremony. Formal ceremony, because every time we tried, I deployed to some location. Yeah. Uh, and then us honeymooning in Greece. But the most important one was uh, me teaching my son how to play ball. Because I, I love baseball. How old was your son at the time of the accident? Three years old. Three. He okay. had just turned three. And and something tells me, get out of this truck. And I get out of the truck. But like you said, I got out of the truck. I was, I was fired from head to toe. Jeez. So I tried to turn to the to that creek that was behind me. As I was running, those flames overtook me, and I collapsed, and I'm thinking, this is it. I'm going I'm to break my promise to my family that I'll always come back. I'm going to break my promise to my son that I'll never let him grow up without a dad like I did. But most importantly, I was going to break my promise to my dad that I'll always take care of my family. But you didn't. And I was amazed reading your account of, of, that, of that day. You are lying in freezing cold water, because that's where you needed to be because of your burns. And you continued your role helping because you weren't the only one wounded there. And you had to call in medics and you still had to do your mission. And you were there burned in horrible condition and you were still doing your job. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, that promise obviously first started with my, my, my mom and my brother and sisters, and I went losing my mom, my brother and sisters, and then, you know, it, it evolved to, you know, my military friends. And, yeah, I was Air Force, they were Army, but when we're all out there, we're all, we're all family. We're all brothers and sisters, and we take care of each other. And so even though I was hurt, my guys were calling, hey, we need close air support, we need cast. Where's Gunslinger? That, that, that happened to be my call sign. And I was like, I got to honor that promise again to my dad. I got to take care of my, my family. So I had to figure out what to do because my radios were destroyed. My backup radios were also destroyed. Uh, but luckily, one of the scout members had a, a, a radar called Numbitter. And I told him pretty much, get on this frequency, repeat what I say, so I can get some help in here. Uh, and they finally came to you. They kept you awake because they feared you wouldn't wake back up if you went to sleep. You finally did, though, lose consciousness. I, I did. Uh, once, uh, once 
we landed on our five, went to the hospital and, and the doctor cutting off my watch and telling me, you're going to be okay. And that was December 4th, 05. I wake up March of 06. For four months, I was in a coma. Four months in a coma. While you are lying in that bed, your wife makes it finally to the United States, finally gets there, and finally gets to see you. Yeah, uh, anytime, like when I when I do a speaking and I tell my story, because a lot of people, that's what they want to hear, the story. Sure. The journey. I, I like to bring my wife's story in, because sometimes we forget about the family. Yes, I, I, I know it's important to focus on the service members, but I always like to say the family sees us at our worst, like my like what happened to me. You're asleep for four months. You don't know what's going on. But they're the ones getting called and told their loved one is hurt or they lost their loved one. Or like myself, there's like, hey, we're giving them a 15% chance to live. You know, you got to hurry or he's going to die. And they're making decisions on, hey, we got to, as you can see, we got to amputate fingers because we don't the infection will get worse and it could probably kill him. She had to uh, make that decision for you to amputate those fingers. You weren't awake for that. She had to make that call for you. There were lots of decisions that she had to make, and she fought with your own brothers and sisters, as you wrote in the book, which I know was very painful to you. But that's not unique, is it? It's not. It's, you know, we always like to think that our families and in and, and times like that will be united. It will be one right. for just for the family member that's in dire strait. And, and I thought that. I believed that until the day I, I heard families fighting. And, uh, you know, I was with the volunteers. Like, thank God that happened to my family. And her telling me was like, it did. Yeah. And I remember I was so upset. You know, I was ticked. And, and I went to my wife and she still would deny it. She didn't want me to know that she yeah. wanted to keep that all to herself and and I, I finally she broke down crying and told me yeah and you know i understand why my brothers and sisters did it i i get it after we lost our parents i was their father figure and they probably like how is now we're going to lose our brother who was like a dad right and they wanted to have control of your condition your wife had the control so that naturally they're going to battle over decisions yeah, they were battling over decisions. And, and like my wife says, like, do you think I want to make a decision that's going to kill the father of my son? I want him to be here. And like I said, once I found out, I had it. I called my brothers and sisters, my family, and, and told them, I love you guys. I, I love with all my heart, but my wife and my son are my, my priority. And if you can't respect what my wife did, I'm sorry, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll still love you, but until you give her that respect she needs, you're not welcome here. And and then, and they, they did, they they apologized and, 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 you know, still hurts her, you know, she, when she, she remembers that because, yeah. you know, it, it, it pains her that she had to go through that with my family. So let's go to March, you wake up. What are you thinking? Uh, it, it was crazy. It's like, you know, I wake up and I see my wife, uh, uh, 
Chief Humphreys, who was like our family liaison officer and some of the doctors there. And they start asking me questions. Do you know where you're at? And I'm thinking, ah, right. Germany? Yeah, I was like, no, you're in San Antonio. I was like, well, do you know the date? Well, December something. And they're like, no, it's it's March, Sergeant. And, and then I start, you know, kind of focusing on myself. I was like, why can't I move? You know, why can't I talk? And I'm raising my, you know, looking at my hands. I'm like, why am I missing digits? Oh. And they start going into the process about how, you know, we gave you 15% chance to live. 80% of your body has third degree burns. You almost died in those three times. But you still got a long recovery. You'll still be here another year and a half. Uh, you may not walk again. And you'll be on a respirator for the rest of your life. And your military career is pretty much over. Of course, they were wrong about all of that. <laughs> they were. I never accepted what people said my life was going to be. You know, if I listened to the experts, you know, a kid growing up on the bad side of town, on the south side of Chicago, with no parents, I should have been a drug dealer, game banger. I was neither. I was an athlete and scholar. So why am I now going to accept what these doctors said my life's going to be? And I pretty much, you know, told them they can go to hell. And two months after they told me that, I left that hospital walking and breathing on my own. Also compelling in this book, you talk a lot about the recovery process. All of those injuries and the horror of your recovery, there was only one day you said that you wanted to give up. Only one. And I thought that was that was some of the most compelling part. What was it? Yeah, you know, I, I, I call it my darkest hour. Uh, you know, people have asked me, did you ever wish you died? And it's like, never, never, except for one time. People don't realize, they look at this, and they think this is what I looked like when I, you know, woke up. But this is over 100-something procedures. You know, how, many, how, how many surgeries have you had? About a hundred, over a hundred, about 150 now total. Oh, wow. You know, I, I had no nose. I had no upper lip. Uh, so this ain't what I look like. Uh, so when you're burned, they cover up the mirrors because they want to ease you into your new transition of what you look like. Okay. So you didn't see and anything I, for months. Don't see anything. And obviously I, I, I can see my, my body. It's yeah. not the same. Right. But for some reason in my head, I kind of thought, I was like, well, yeah, I probably got some singed hair, you know, but I still kind of looked myself. And I remember I, I needed to go to the restroom, and my wife was helping me, and, and, and Gary, who I call my guardian angel, uh, who was my therapist, uh, physical therapist, they're helping me. And I slipped, and one of them grabbed the towel that was covering the mirror, and I see myself, and, and, and I break down. And I said, I should have died. He should have let me die. And, and it wasn't a vanity thing. It really wasn't. It was like... Well, shocking. It, it was shocking. I was like, if I'm 30 years old and I think I'm a monster, what's my three-year-old son going to think? You know, my, my son was my spark. I always say we all have a spark that drives us, that keeps us going. Yeah. And sometimes you can find out on your own and sometimes you need help. But you find, hadn't seen your son yet and through any of this. I hadn't. The last time I saw my son was on his birthday on August of 2005. The year before, months before what happened in Afghanistan. Months before, because this was like, this was like end, end of April, about beginning of May when I saw myself. And, and, and I broke down because I said, 
It's not about anything. If I think I'm a monster, what's my three-year-old son going to think? And I just wanted to die. I was like, I should have died. And my wife was trying to console me. Gary was trying to console me. And I, and I just didn't want to hear it. I was like, I should have just died. And then Gary says, I think I'll never forget. And I'm so grateful to him. I was like, DT, all your son wants is to see his dad again. That's all your boy wants. And that calmed me down and that kind of got, got me back because they even tried to use the whole, you don't realize how many people you inspire, you motivate, how you don't give up. But I just didn't care. I yeah. just like, I, I don't care. And that's before you have, uh, you've inspired so many more people since with your story and you continue to obviously with the book. Take us to that moment when you finally did get to see your yeah. son. So like, I'm out of the hospital and I'm coming home for the first time. And again, I remember a bunch of my teammates were there, uh, my, my, my aunt, my brother and sisters, my wife. And I walk in, and I, and I look like a mummy. I really did, because you're all wrapped up. All I had was a baseball hat on. Uh, and, and my wife's like, hey, Weddle, which that's my son's nickname, <laughs> Weddle. And, and it's like, Bobby's here. And he comes running out, and I hear his little feet. You, you sort of, I like, he ran like a little penguin, <laughs> you know. He comes running out, and, and he sees me and stops. And all this fear that I thought, yeah. I, you know, that what I was thinking when I saw myself, yeah. came rushing back in. Yeah, because he's looking and, at you, and he's trying he's to, right. he's he's trying to figure it out. Yeah, and and he just tilts his head to the side and says, "Papi." I said, yeah, mijo. And comes up, gives me the most amazing hug, <laughs> the most amazing moment I've ever had besides seeing him being born. Uh, and I remember my wife's like, don't hurt your dad. And I'm like, shut up, woman. Let me hold my boy. <laughs> and, and, and Gary was right. All my boy wanted was his dad back. That's all he cared. And it was a great moment. So then you go through your long, your arduous recovery, your journey. And then you find out that during your time in your coma, you were honored with a Purple Heart. The president of the United States was bedside, and you didn't know. Yeah, it was crazy because I remember uh, uh, when I was still in the hospital, I see guys getting their Purple Heart. Yeah. You know, no one really wants to get that. And a lot of times you're out of the fight. You know, you're injured. You know, well, you know, even though it's the oldest medal in, in the nation, you don't know really wants it. Uh, but I saw everyone getting it. And I'm like, hey, am I going to get one? And I remember there's like, you already got it. I'm like, when, when did I get it? Who gave it to me? It was like, well, DT, you know, we were still in a coma and it was President Bush. I'm like, no, oh, I wish I could have remembered that. Yeah. So he came to your room. He met your wife. And I mean, this wasn't in front of television cameras or anything like that, right? This was just in your room with 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 everyone who was giving you care. Yeah, you know, he never wanted any cameras around when he was visiting the guys. You know, he's like, "This is my time with with my service members, my team." And my, I remember my wife telling him, "Like when they were giving her like the briefing, you know, meet the president, don't don't hug him, you know, shake his hand." You know, because we want to get him in and out. And he comes to her. And I guess someone had told him the story of what she went through. Yeah. Uh, and 
he just talks to her in Spanish. And my wife tries to give, you know, shake his hand. And he's like, no, gives her a, a hug. And it's like, you know, I'm here for you and, and your husband. And they go in the room and he spends 20 minutes in my room uh, just talking to me. And, and people, again, don't realize when you're severely burned, you're, you get skinned alive. Because it ain't the burns that kill you, it's the infection. So when you, you, you lose that outer layer of skin, they keep your room at like 97 degrees. 97 comes, degrees. 97 degrees. And anyone that comes in has to be covered from head to toe. And for him to stay there 20 minutes, longer than some of my family members ever did. It, you know, I tell people, you may not agree with his politics or whatever, but you'll never take away the love he had for his guys. And for him to stay there 20 minutes meant a lot. And you've formed a relationship with him. You've since met him, of course. And 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 you could text him now if you wanted. You could call him right now if you wanted. Right? I mean, you had yeah, that kind of relationship we, with him. Yeah, we became good friends. Uh, you know, after all these years, you know, he'll call me once in a while, see how I'm doing. But, of course, you know, uh, President Bush, he loves talking smack. <laughs> he talks smack to me all the time. Uh, and I remember, you know, on one trip, we were... He had done his Portraits of Courage, where he painted me. And we were going to go, he asked me to go with him to promote it. And we're flying back, and he's just busting my chops. And I'm like, you know what, sir? I'm going to kick your ass. (laughs) (laughs) And and his his, uh, chief of staff, Freddie, he he looks to the Secret Service like, hey, man, he just threatened the president. Well, all these guys know who I am, because I've been around him so much. And they're like, and they'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have taken your story and you have made a recovery that's incredible in the sense that you went back into the Air Force, correct? I did. What did you do? Uh, so, obviously, I wanted to continue to serve. And people always ask me, why, DT? Because I was already starting to kind of do a lot of the speaking. And they're like... You know, they make a lot of money. And yes, they do. I understand that. You know, public security make, you know, the high ends, they're making up three figures or six figures. And, but I, I used to say, it's like, there are so many people out there that make so much money and hate their job. So why am I going to give up something I love? I love serving. I love being a tech P. I love being in the Air Force. Why am I going to give that up for some money? And, so, you know, I, I fought to stay in, and I knew I couldn't be an operator. I knew that. Yeah. I couldn't be downrange. Even if they asked me, I would go in a heartbeat. No more deployment, no, nothing no like that. No more deployments, unless we became like Star Wars, and I got a cool Luke Skywalker hand, and I used to turn <laughs> a mind trick on everyone. But we're not there. But I knew I could teach. I can get the next generation of operators going. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was able to convince them, and... In February 2010, I became the first 100% disabled airman to realist in the Air Force. You also started working in adaptive sports. And that has led you to world records. You you are with royalty. You became (laughs) friends with Prince Harry, the Invictus Games. I mean, you've done so much. Talk about the sports part and, and what that means to you. You know, so uh, when you're going through recovery, 
they introduce you to adaptive sports because a lot of us were athletes. And when, we're, when we look at ourselves, we're thinking, how are we going to be able to do the sports that we love? Because, you know, when, you, when you're not injured or you're not in that world, you don't know about adaptive sports. So they introduce you to kind of get you back into society. So I started, you know, you know, playing these sports, you know, from track and field, throwing to shooting to sitting volleyball and to cycling. Uh, and I started to excel. I started to get good in it. I started to win. And like I said, I, I started breaking world records and throwing. What are your records in? Uh, so my, my, my world records and for my class, which is an F45, is shot put, discus, and javelin. I'm wow. on all three. Wow. And you still do all that work? You still work out and all that? I, I still work out. You know, this morning I was in the gym, you know, you know, by, by six, six o'clock, I was in the gym getting my workout in because that's, that's my thing. I, I got to get it in. And so what do you want to continue to do? What's your future? You know, you know, now since I've retired, you know, I, I, I like speaking. I really do. I like going out there. And, well, you're and great speak. at it. You, you tell a compelling story. Yeah, because I saw it as that promise that I, I made to my dad. Now it's to anyone that needs it, that needs to hear uh, the journey I went through to help maybe help them find their spark. So when they get to a bad situation, they can things like, you know what? DT did it. I'm going to do it too. I'm going to beat this. Because, you know, we all have bad days. Don't get me wrong. I had a bad day. You, had, you had as bad a day as possible. <laughs> I went from a 200-pound muscle head to 115 pounds. I, I, I kind of looked like a podcast host. <laughs> That's amazing. It really is. It really you is. Know, but, but so for me to be able to go out and, and, and tell my story and meet people, it's almost therapeutic for me. And, and I'm a realist. I, I know I'm not going to touch everybody. But those one or two that really, truly need it, where they feel like they've given up, all that pain, all that suffering, all those obstacles thrown in front of me is worth it yeah. to help that person and to continue honoring that promise to my dad. Now, some of the wounds are mental, PTSD. And, th and, and, and are you able to connect with those service members who've dealt with that? I, I do, you know, because uh, a lot of times, you know, it... it it is mental, you know, when you're giving up, it, it's in here. It's not in, in, in the strength that you have physically. You know, I, I like to quote, I remember Bruce Smith, when they asked him, how hard is football? It's like, it's it's 96% mental, 4% physical. And, and and that's what it is. It's people, it's, it's in their head. And when, if you're able to talk to them and, and help them and, and, and sometimes you end up losing friends, even though you think they're up there. You know, this past year I lost a good friend, Joe Cap. You know, the first ranger amputee to ever head back downrange multiple times. No one would have thought he would have done what he did. Uh, but we just try and continue to be there for our friends and, and help people as much as we can. Have you accepted when people call you a hero at this point? <laughs> it, it's still weird for me. Uh, I, I remember when they were trying to think of a, a, a title for the book, I I just wanted, I knew I, I had to have the word promise in there. Right, right. That was a whole thing, promise. Right. 
and they wanted to use a hero's promise. And for me, it's like, uh, you know, maybe someone was writing a book about me. Okay, that's them. But for me, I'm writing about what I went through. I felt kind of like a pompous, but, you know, I didn't want to, I wanted, I was like, no. And, and like you said, I still feels weird. It's like, I'm just DT, man. I just, I just hang out with my friends, play some Call of Duty with them, talk smack, maybe drink some, you know, bourbon and Coke, you know, that's just me. It's like, I just, I don't, I still, it's still hard for me to accept that people see me in that light. Because yeah, I just see myself me. Yeah, you right. You still think you're just a dude who had a bad day at work. Well, when I read the book and and I've heard your story, I think it's a it's a lot uh, it's a lot greater than that. The book is a Patriot's Promise: Protecting My Brothers, Fighting for My Life, Keeping My Word. It's out brand new, July fourth. Israel DT Del Toro Jr. Now U.S. Air Force Senior Master Sergeant, Wounded Warrior, Purple Heart recipient. Thank you so much. For your time really appreciate it no thank you dave thank you for having me here thank you for being able to you know show the world a promise i made to my dad and how that helped me and hopefully it can help them well it's super inspiring i have to admit and i have to tell you i thought it was a great book and i thank you for the time thank you dave You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hey, it's Will Kane, co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend. Join me as I share my thoughts on a wide range of topics from sports and pop culture to politics and business. The Will Kane Podcast. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.